Welcome to the Wilds Cast. In this episode, the tables are turned. Rabbi Wilds is interviewed by his friend and colleague, Rabbi Ezra Cohen, about his new forthcoming book. It's a great conversation. We hope you enjoy it as much as we did. All right. Welcome, everybody, to the Wilds Cast. Facebook Live, 11, sorry, 12.15 on the button, on time. Uh, excited to be here today, a guest host on the Wilds cast. Um, I believe we're about six, seven months into this amazing initiative at MJE of putting out serious content, bringing in some amazing talent and personalities uh, to be interviewed and to have conversations with our founder and director, Rabbi Mark Wilds. Uh, definitely check it out. Uh, Apple iTunes, the podcast is called The Wilds Cast. You can download episodes that we've been doing over the past six months, share them with your friends. And today, without further ado, we have tossed over the host opportunity of The Wilds Cast uh, to the COO of MJE, myself, uh, Rabbi Ezra Cohen. And today's reason for hosting is because it's a very special day today. Today is the release of the second book written by Rabbi Mark Wilds, The 40-Day Challenge, Daily Jewish Insights. <laughs> Let me get that book. Do you actually Before have I a copy? Here? I do. I got an awesome. early release copy. That's very The 40-Day Challenge, Daily Jewish Insights to Prepare for the Jewish Holidays. Um, believe it or not, uh, in just under 40 45 days, uh, we will begin uh, this challenge. We'll begin this time of prepping for the high holidays, which come early. And uh, it's a fantastic book. Uh, the author is here with us, our founder and director at MJE. We are super excited to have a conversation uh, about the content, about your inspiration, and uh, kind of just about the process itself of what it is to, uh, to write a book. So without further ado, I'll introduce myself real quick. And then, of course, our star for today's podcast, Rabbi Mark Wilds. Uh, for those who don't know me, um, Ezra Cohen, been working at MJE for my entire life uh, since, <laughs> 2000, since 2002. It feels like just yesterday I began. Um, I oversee the operations at MJE. We have, believe it or not, 900 to 1,000 programs at three of our sites, east, west, and downtown, from small learning groups to Shabbat dinners to socials. Check us out. Uh, it's really exciting now that we are reopening um, all in-person events safely. Uh, come join us uh, at any of our amazing programs throughout New York City. Um, I previously was an educational director at Rutgers University. I worked at the Beth in America, but uh, those aren't important um, badges on my resume. Most important, uh, I've been working at the Manhattan Jewish Experience side-by-side -side by Rabbi Mark Wilds. It's been a great honor and pleasure to work by your side, to see the growth of this organization, uh, to see the amazing impact and inspiration it's had in people's lives, uh, the literal hundreds of couples that have met and gotten married. And it's been a real honor, and it's very special to be here today, not only with my colleague, I still do consider also, <laughs> I still do consider you also a dear friend. Uh, Which you is know. not a simple thing when you're working so <laughs> no. close with somebody, to actually stay friends. And not yeah. just colleagues. That's true. Yeah. And by the so, way, can um, I just jump in? Because uh, you don't have to give my whole bio and uh, curriculum vitae and resume. Yeah. You yeah. really don't need to do it. I, I wanna, I'm going to say something, if it's okay, uh, that I said at the dinner. 
Um, I didn't dedicate this book to you, Ezra, but if it wasn't for Rabbi Ezra Cohn, there's no way in this universe that I could have spent the time preparing this. I uh, will talk a little about what the impetus was to write the book, but just practically to be able to keep MGE going during COVID, during a pandemic, to keep that minion going every Shabbos, to keep classes going and daily Zoom sessions and and Facebook Live every day, and I could actually spend a few hours a day writing this thing, that's only because of our dear friend, Rabbi Ezra Cohn. So I want to start off by saying thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, it means a lot, and I have to tell uh, you that uh, I did not do it alone. Um, your thank you goes to the entire team at MJE. Yes, it does. We have uh, about just under 20 staff at MJ of part-time and full-time employees, of people who are making sure that the lights just don't stay on. We don't just survive during the pandemic, but we thrive. And so uh, with your thanks to me, I want to give a sincere thanks and appreciation for all of the amazing, talented MJE team, staff, and family. It's great to have all you guys here. Thanks for your amazing work. Whoa. Awesome. All right. So today we have two guests, but the first guest is Rabbi Mark Wilds, who might not need an intro, but I would like to give an intro. <laughs> Please. Rabbi Wilds got his law degree at Cordoza Law School and master's in international law at Columbia University. He passed the bar. Believe it or not, he passed the bar. Um, but rather than becoming a lawyer, did you tell me that you didn't pass the bar the first time? Yeah, that's in my first book. Ah, okay, so we won't talk about that. <laughs> Chapter four in my first book talks about uh, failing forward, and there's also a great YouTube on it where I talked about how I struggled to pass the bar while I was in rabbinical school and working in Soviet Jewry and doing a lot of other things, and um, there's a lot to be learned from my failures. <laughs> okay, in your intro, I normally wouldn't talk about your failures, but since well, it relates you mention it. Yeah. to your you know. it relates to your other book, and if it can push sales, then let's talk about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but rather than being a lawyer, Rabbi Wiles decided to dedicate and to found MJE in 1998 in memory and in honor of his mother Ruth. Um, Rabbi Wiles began in 1998, and he has literally taught um, hundreds and thousands of classes. He's taking dozens of groups, probably um, more than dozens, to Israel, and we're going to be going again on July 3rd, if anyone's interested. He's hosted hundreds and thousands of Shabbat dinners. He's officiated hundreds of weddings, and uh, like I said, we have probably uh, 344 marriages to date that we are so proud of at MJE. He resides... Uh, at MJE, uh, that's his full-time residence. And then, I live uh, in. He... I live. I live in this room right here. My whole, I raised <laughs> right. my whole family in my office right here. Right, and when he wants to spend a little time with his family, he goes down to the street uh, to the Upper West Side, where he lives with uh, his wife Jill, uh, co-founder at MJE, um, who's uh, been an amazing teacher, mentor, and educator, and friend to so many at MJE, as well, of course. Uh, his entire family, all of his children have been involved um, uh, with uh, working on some level at MJ and helping us out. Uh, Yosef, most recently, as a chazan and cantor. I know Ezra helped a little bit with the book, and um, your other children have helped uh, for other aspects. So uh, it's a real team effort uh, at the Wilds uh, residence. And um, if you're ever interested in Shabbat hospitality, delicious, amazing, inspiring Shabbat hospitality, the Wilds host. Every single Shabbos day, 
Come and to we're me back first. And, and we're, yeah. we're back. And we're back now. We're doing it every show. We're like doing that. it. So um, reach out to Rabbi Wiles, Facebook, Instagram, text. Uh, he'd love to host you. I love offering other people's hospitality. <laughs> um, pleasure. Yeah. And um, the only thing really that's not, that wasn't on your uh, curriculum vital, vital uh, was writing a book. And uh, you did publish the book, I believe, about four and a half, five years ago, Beyond the Instant. And uh, it's an amazing book that all of our students have uh, read and been inspired by. And it really spoke about the dangers of social media. Uh, if you're interested in the book, it's still on Amazon. We still have a bunch of copies over at MJE. Uh, would highly recommend. It's a fantastic book taken from a lot of Rabbi Wilde's sermons and classes. But today, today, what we are focusing on is the 40-day challenge, which was put out by Kodesh Press. Daily Jewish Insights to Prepare for the High Holidays. It's a book that has been praised by Nisim Black, by Yuri Foreman, by Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg, Abital Goldschmidt, Nava Silton, and many of his guests who've uh, appeared on this podcast um, are also um, big fans and supporters of this book. Joe Lieberman, uh, Sarah Hurwitz, Dimitri Salida, Nisim Black, Kosher Dills, and so many others. Um, we're going to introduce the founder of Kodesh Press, uh, Alec Goldstein, um, when he comes on. But in the meantime, Rabbi Wiles, let's just jump right into it. Mm -hmm. What motivated yeah. you to write a book about the high holidays? That's only 10 days a year. Why write a book about something that just occurs just for a few days on the calendar? That's an excellent question, Rabbi Ezra Cohn. Thank you. <laughs> My dear friend and colleague. Um, you know, uh, High Holidays, probably next to the Passover Seder, remains the most celebrated Jewish custom or ritual, whatever you want to call it, uh, in American Jewish life. And I said to myself, like, how many Jews are really getting anything out of the High Holidays or getting what they could get out of the High Holidays? It's something we don't have to sort of reinvent the wheel. People are already going to Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur services, but are they getting um, enough out of it to keep them coming back? You see, at MGE, and as you know this, Rabbi Ezra, because you've been running your downtown MGE services for years, and you helped me on the west side for years before that, and you worked at Rutgers, you know that that's the time of the year when Jews, our brothers and sisters, come out of the woodwork. So it's such an opportunity to engage people, but then, you know, I don't want to see them in another year. I want to see them the next week. And the way to do that, I think, is to make the high holiday experience much more impactful and meaningful, and there's no way around that than being prepared. Because you can blame it, the chazan, maybe the singing wasn't so great, he didn't have such a good voice, he didn't pick the right tunes, maybe the rabbi's sermon was a little lame. But what are we personally doing to make the high holiday experience much more impactful and meaningful? And I think that preparation is everything. If you don't prepare, then what experience in your life is meaningful and is something you're going to want to come and do again and not just wait another year again for it to happen? So I thought I'd, we'd, we'd create this 40-day kind of preparatory experience where people could read a little insight every day so that when Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur hits, we're in a different place. We're more open and receptive to what the rabbi has to say, to the songs that we're going to be singing in synagogue. And then that way, the high holiday experience can really have its impact. Mm -hmm. That's what, that was the impetus behind it. I 100% I, I agree. You know, we, um, we, we always look at our numbers, right? How many attendees, right? So we get 550, 600 plus people at all three sites. And that's amazing that people are coming and attending. 
but but the true i would say um test of whether we're impacting and inspiring is whether they're there for simchas torah mm-hmm. whether they're there for the uh the classes that begin in the fall because you're right people will come to that once a year you know they know that it's the high holidays but the question is what are they going to do with it once they leave mje and it all starts you're 100 right with preparation yeah rev selovechik who uh you and I and the rest of our staff, rabbinic staff, quote all the time. Um, had a very famous line. He said that there's there can be no kedusha without hachana. There can be no sanctity and holiness without preparation. And uh, again, I'll ask you know anyone who's listening to this right now, think about the most important moments of your life. We didn't just show up. We prepared. Whether it was it could be. An, an engagement to somebody or it could be a, a test. You were talking about the bar before. Nobody just shows up at the bar and hopefully it'll go well. So why are we just showing up on Rosh Hashanah and Kippur and we're just sort of expecting it to do its magic? And we often walk out disappointed. And I'm not saying this is going to just flip everything upside down. Everything's going to turn uh, different overnight, but I think it can make a difference. I think the the state of mind in which we enter our synagogues and our high holiday season will change if we've done some preparation. If we can read this book and we can take a little piece of Torah every day for 40 days from Rosh Chodesh Elul all the way to Yom Kippur, answer the challenge question that follows. It's literally a five, six minute exercise per day, but I think it can make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, 100% agree. So now that we're like delving into the book, um, the 40-day challenge, let me just hold it up there again. Let me ask you, is there like a favorite chapter <laughs> was there a certain hmm. lesson or teaching that you can say this is something which like really really speaks to me i relate yeah, you know, to it it's hard because they're 40 and i chose 40 by the way you should just know i chose 40 out of, of out of about 65 because i this came out of a whatsapp group that mm-hmm. i've been doing for the last two years so i had two you know and so i chose but i'll tell you day four what which i entitled making music with what remains I, I feel very akin to. If you want to open it up, it's on page 12. And it's, it starts with a story about the great violinist Yitzhak Perlman, uh, who, by the way, contracted polio at the age of four and had his entire life had to wear metal braces. He used to walk out on the stage playing with the New York Philharmonic. And there was this one incident when he came out on stage. He was tuning his violin right before he was about to play. And then one of the strings in the violin snapped. Right. Now, instead of what most people would do, which was, you know, call out for someone to bring a new violin uh, or a new string, he simply continued to play the whole concert that he had already started playing on three strings. A violin had normally four strings. And when he was finished, the crowd gave him this huge standing ovation, not only because the song was so great, but he played it on three strings, which is like it's anyone who plays a violin will know. And when they asked him to speak about what happened, he famously answered. He said, our task is to make music with what remains. Mm. And it's such a powerful metaphor for life because we always – we feel so gypped because if I – only if I was a little better looking and if only I had a little more money and if only I got in this break and if only I passed the bar on the first time, it didn't have to take it another two more times. And if only – if only – and that is really what Elul's about. You remember my – our friend Rabbi Eitan Meir from a million years ago at the Jewish mm-hmm. Center, mm-hmm. he had this great teaching. Elul is the holiest month on the Jewish calendar. That's mm-hmm. the month that this book is meant to be read during. 
and it's a preparatory month for the high holidays. And if you say, he, he said that if you spell the word Elul backwards, Aleph, Lamed, Vav, Lamed, Lule. if you spell it backwards, it, very good. So what's Lule mean? It's weird. Lule. It's kind of a weird. Lule Hamanti. If only. If yeah. only. Yeah. yeah. So if it actually technically means if no, but it really means if only, only no. things were not the way they were. And Rabbi oh. Mayer said, said that if, like, we kind of live that kind of existence all year long. If only this, if only that, if only if I was smarter, I'd be further along in my career. If only I had different parents, maybe I wouldn't have, have problems in my relationships. If only I was raised religious, it wouldn't be so hard for me to be observant, to be more committed to my, to my traditions. The month of Elul comes along every year and says, dude, you've got it wrong. It's not if only. You've got exactly what you need. I know that a violin is supposed to have four strings. Yours has three. Let's see what kind of beautiful music you can create with three strings. And I just think that's the theme of embracing our reality. And I always say this on the high holidays. We always pray for something new, and that's okay. We should always pray for something new. But one of the things I think we should pray for is not to change our reality, but to give us the strength to embrace our reality to celebrate the lives as they are, and to find meaning and purpose in the, the situation in which I find myself currently. If we can do that, we can have such a great year to be able to figure out how to grow from our current life situation and not only live this, you know, when I get married, things will be great. When I get that job, then when you get married, you have the kid. Well, I have one kid. I need a second kid. I, it's, it never ends. When are we going to just live life? as it is. And I, I struggle with this. Everything I write about in this book is a personal struggle because you know, Ezra, I'm always living the, the should. You know, This program was good at MG, but it could have been <laughs> if only. I do that. I'm just saying I, I struggle with that. You know, on a personal level and professionally, I struggle with perfectionism and, and, and just it's never good enough. And, mm -hmm. and I really believe it's one of the most profound and important teachings of the Torah uh, to, to to be grateful for what we have and to operate within that context. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely a fine balance because we we know that the whole time of the forty days is all about growth. So you want to be aspirational. You want to uh -huh. like have your eye on the prize. You want to always be asking yourself, where can I improve to to get to a two But at the same time, you have to embrace your reality. So yeah. isn't there some sort of tension? There is a tension. Because if you if you're right, I mean, I appreciate you responding this way. Because if you would just if you would just leave it the way I put it, you'd be like, okay, just status quo. I have to just make good with what I have. But what about growth? What about becoming the best version of yourself? So there has to be a little of both. And I would argue that in order to get to that next level, you have to appreciate what you have now. Mm. If you don't appreciate what you have now, and you don't find the meaning and purpose in the three strings, you're never going to get that fourth string. You're never going to – it just you, – you'll peter out because you're just so down on your current reality, and we're just living this if-only kind of existence. But you're right. It has to be tempered, and it has to be balanced with ambition. You know, in, you know how focused New Yorkers are, Jew, non-Jew alike, on, on getting to that next level in their business, mm -hmm. in their professional aspirations. We need to have the same thing the same goal and the same drive when it comes to ourselves spiritually, ethically, and morally, but recognizing that what we have is also good. Mm -hmm. 
No, it's, uh, and I think that's why it's important, you know, to surround yourself with community uh, where there's teachers and mentors and other people who are seekers. So they can kind of help you navigate this because it's, uh, it's not an easy uh, view and paradigm to take in life, right? To be this aspirational self, but at the same time to embrace um, the reality and obviously be grateful for the blessings in your life. So let me ask you something about another chapter related to consistency, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I know that uh, you love um, to speak about this idea of habits. Um, I've heard you uh, mention this a few times in your class, uh, a few times in sermons, and um, you you express that this is the key to success, consistency. What is it about this topic that you find so important and, you know, that it resounds so much with you? I mean, I, I think I think the metaphor is working out um, that the, the way to see change in a body uh, we all know from is is sticking to the same routine and just persevering and pushing through certain goals, but coming back to the same thing every day. Um, you and I have discussed this this um, this source. By the way, it was not easy to find. It's found in the Ein Yaakov, which is a medieval mm-hmm. Jewish composition. At where they ask the rabbis, what is the most important verse in the Torah? This is one of your best speeches, Rabbi Ezra. I love listening to you. Usually you share it on the ski retreat, sometimes in the spring. And of course, uh, one rabbi said the Shema is the most important verse. And another rabbi said, love your neighbor. But the other verse is the most mundane verse in the, in the Torah. It's actually in my Bar Mitzvah Parshan Pinchas. Uh, you shall offer one lamb in the morning. And offer another lamb in the afternoon, which is like so boring. In the morning, in the temple, they would bring this animal as a sacrifice. And in the afternoon, in the temple, they'd bring this other animal as a sacrifice. And every day we pray shacharis, and every day we pray mincha, and then this evening service is all. Now, you can understand loving your neighbor and believing God as central verses, you know, phrases of the Bible, but bring the morning sacrifice and bring the afternoon. It's just so boring and mundane. But if you think about what makes great football players great or any athlete or any intellectual or any person is consistency. People think that that those who are successful in life just became that way overnight. It's not true. People think that the Beatles were overnight success. I obsess about the Beatles. They were not an overnight success. John started the band with Paul in the late 50s. They were playing dingy little gigs in Liverpool and in Hamburg, Germany for hours and hours. They were fine-tuning. And Malcolm Gladwell, in one of his great books, writes that he's got the 10,000-hour rule, that anyone who's become really great at what they do, it's because they put at least 10,000 hours into crafting their skill. and. Um, Athletes will tell you the best way to get into shape is to have a routine, and that's the same way we build spiritual muscle. And that's when it comes to our relationship with God and our friends and our spouses. If it's going to be meaningful, it needs to be consistent. Um, and you know that's why we always, you know, we always share this with our students when when people are coming from different backgrounds. They don't have much of a background in Judaism. Always say, pick one thing and do it consistently. Because if you take a little of this and take a little of that when you feel like it, and then you drop this, you go to something else, you're not going to get that wonderful feeling of accomplishment that you've actually pushed through a new boundary. You've moved yourself into a new sphere. So belief in God through the Shema is critical, loving your neighbor as yourself, but without daily and consistent activities 
that connect us to God and to our fellow human being. These are just going to remain lofty ideas, but they become part of who we are and they help us become the best version of ourselves when we engage in them repeatedly, consistently. Mm. So, and that's why MJE has programs every single day of the week. <laughs> so you can engage consistently, right? 100%. Monday nights, West Side, Tuesday nights, East Side, Wednesday nights, downtown. I don't, and we, we, we still need to fill the Thursday, Sunday hole. I know. But f- five out of seven is pretty consistent. I think we're um, good. You think we're good? <laughs> um, so, another question uh, related to a chapter which you speak about arguing. Uh, having a difference of opinion. And you speak about not to focus on the person, but to focus on the idea. And we live in a time of cancel culture where people basically have character assassination and tell someone, if you hold this view, it means that you're an evil and bad person. Uh, What do you really speak about? And what's the Jewish viewpoint on this uh, that you try to express in the 40-day challenge? And why specifically is it important before the high holidays? Yeah, I appreciate you asking and bringing this up. I think this is a very dangerous trend, um, canceling and, and and personalizing our arguments with other people. I, I entitled this chapter, I called it playing the ball, not the person. Because I remember when I used to play basketball, my coach told me, keep your eye on the ball, not the guy. The ball is where you need to follow, not the person. So I use that as a little of an analogy that when you're having a conversation with someone that you vehemently disagree with on any moral, political, whatever issue, keep your eye on the ball, not the person, meaning stay focused on the issue. And what, what's happened in our society is that we are assigning ill will to other people with whom we disagree. We're saying We're identifying the person with their position, and they must be a bad person because they are adopting a certain position that I really detest. And by Mm -hmm. the way, I do detest other people's positions, but I try to detest the argument, the argument, not the person. And you know what? As you know this, you've been studying Talmud your whole life. You know that we would have no Talmudic tradition. We would not be able to arrive at the truth if you couldn't have two rabbis butting heads on some very important theological and Jewish legal issues. The way we arrive at truth is by two sages going at each other, not on the personal level, but scholarly-wise, in terms of the argument, who makes a better argument. That's what trumps at the end of the day. And that's why, it's a famous teaching, you're familiar with this as well, but maybe some of our students are not, Hillel and Shammai, two great Mm -hmm. legal adversaries in the Talmud, the rabbis never refer to them when they have a machloket, a debate as machloket, Shammai, and Hillel. It's not a debate between Shammai and Hillel. It's a debate between Beit Shammai, the school of Shammai, and Beit Hill and the school of Hillel because they were academic, intellectual arguments. They were important arguments. But they actually married their children off to each other. They had personal relationships with each other. And I just, I've seen this change in my own lifetime. I've seen this mm. change where members of Congress were actually friends with each other on the right side and on the left side. And uh, I had the opportunity to work for liberal Democrats who were great supporters of Israel. And I've worked for more right-wing Republicans when I was more politically involved. And nobody ever said anything like, why are you working for this one as opposed to, it was just like, you're trying to, you know, you have your own perspective, whatever that is, and you argue it as best as you can, but people work together. And it's a very divisive uh, world. We have to get back to arguing the issue and not the people. 
Mm -hmm. And um, I, I just think that's very, very important. And that's what ends up happening when you keep arguing with a person and not the mm -hmm. issue. You end up, you can't handle them anymore. So you defriend them, you cancel them. And guess what? You surround yourself with people that you agree with and you don't grow because you can't mm -hmm. grow by simply, that's why we get married. We get married to be it's with someone who, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you have to have a little tension or else you can't grow. Right. You, right, you right, marry right. a yes person. It's not going to happen. On the Azer other hand, connecto. Azer connecto. Yeah, explain that. May, may, not everyone may understand that. That's a really so, important so, teaching. So, right. So you marry someone who's a helpmate, but who's also against you and opposes you and tells you when you need to perhaps take a different stance or look at things from a different perspective to call you out. Um, a mirror almost to your actions and to your thoughts. But it's obviously done in a frame of love and respect. But this is really the only, I would say, um, way that a person is going to grow, is going to ultimately find the truth, is uh, if they understand that uh, their view uh, is a part of the tapestry of, of MS and truth, and that uh, sometimes they're looking at things from a subjective place. And it's important that uh, you have an Azer Connecto to tell you, you know what, let's look at it this way. I 100% believe that. My wife... Um, is a very wise woman, and uh, she's uh, reminded me of that probably daily, um, of the importance of understanding that, uh, you know, sometimes your way is not the best way or the only way, and um, to look at things from a different view. And if you don't mind, I'm just going to jump in. I have another entry mm -hmm. on day 14, which says, if you see something, say something, mm. where I encourage not only spouses, but friends to point out when their friend has done something wrong. Nobody wants to do this. We just want to be fair-weathered friends. My mother, blessed memory, always used to say this. A good friend is someone who's with him during difficult times. And I would add, a good friend is someone who says something. Mm. Because if you keep quiet when your friend is doing something you think is bad and is destructive to your friend, what kind of friend are you? And now it's harder, and it's going to make the relationship more complex, but it's going to enrich it because if the other person sees you truly care about them, and you pull them aside and you say it privately, dude, this is not good for you. I really think this is a mistake. And let me, let me hear, and, and I will love you no matter what you do. I will always support you either way. But there is a verse in the Torah, to reprove one's neighbor. And by the way, the next verse says, love thy neighbor as yourself. Because as you said beautifully, Ezra, if it's coming from a place of love, like a mm. spouse, then you're going to be able to hear your friends. Because if you have someone who really has your back and loves you, and you like, I, you know, I have certain people in my life. I was just talking to my son, you know, and he actually shared with me something about the way I was handling something um, and, and perfectionism issue again. And I really was able to listen to him because I know he loves me and I know he's only sharing it because he's, he's seeing an issue and he wants to help me. Mm. So um, I, I think that's very, very important. It's also, it's not something that we're trained to do. We, we like to, we like to be non-confrontational. Mm. But then you got to really ask yourself, what's the nature of your relationship with your friend if you're only there to have fun and pat them on the back when they do something great? But when, they, when they're doing something which is not good or destructive, you keep quiet. Okay, it's, anyway. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. No, I was just uh, a, a nice um, – if you look into the Hebrew um, letters of the word hocheach, tochiach, tochacha, mm. at its root is koach, is strength. Mm. And you have to ask yourself, are you just trying to prove someone right 
from like a knowledge point or are you trying actually to uplift and to give someone power and strength? And then, you know, the, uh, the tochacha, the rebuke is, I think, in the right, you know, it's being given in the right way. You're looking out yeah. for a person's best interest to yeah. hopefully help them grow and get stronger. Um, before we bring on our, um, our book publisher, I just had two other quick questions. Please. Um, um, we, we can talk about Tom Brady. I, I know you're not from Boston, but apparently uh, he's your first reference <laughs> in the introduction. Yeah, and I'm pulling over his jersey. Let me ask you, know, something. do you know what position Tom Brady plays? I, I think he's a quarterback. He's got to throw the ball. <laughs> yeah, you're correct. Okay. And how many I'm, times I'm, do you I don't know. He won a lot. Oh, uh, uh, well, it depends. Before the field goal, you get six. I'm not as much wow, of a moron as you think I am. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> so you're holding up the jersey. So what's about Tom Brady? What is it? Look, I Tom Brady <laughs> is obviously a very successful football player. He's a little controversial because he – took some drugs to enhance whatever it is. And I think the world has gotten over that. I think he admitted it. He apologized. That's another important issue. That I thought we he actually... deflated balls. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, right. Yeah, not the drugs. I'm sorry. He did something a little unethical in terms of winning. And, yeah, that's, um, I, I think they took out some of the air against the New York Jets, uh, the footballs. I don't think he was. Uh, but, yeah, I totally get it. So let's continue what this is about Tom Brady <laughs> and your book. He was a big preparer. That's why I brought him in. He mm-hmm. had already won six Super Bowls. Okay, mm-hmm. the guy's like on top of the world. Mm-hmm. And the 2021 game, which I watched, um, he was sending scouting tips and films to his fellow players at all hours of the night. I mean, he was just like obsessively preparing. He mm-hmm. followed this crazy diet, sleep, this workout routine. He was consistent. He never veered. There was one teammate. That told reporters that that uh, Brady convinced him to wake up every morning to meet him at five thirty in the morning, and that he once showed up at six thirty and sarcastically uh, Brady greeted him with the words "Good afternoon." Like, dude, <laughs> uh, where, where you been? It's already six thirty in the morning. And although uh, the last Super Bowl was held in his own uh, hometown of Tampa, Tampa Bay, um, in, in Tampa, he, he he was able to stay home. But his family had his family leave. And I'm not saying this is such a model, but (laughs) his training was so intense that his family moved out for two weeks. So Mm -hmm. I love that idea. I was just using that as a way of like anything important in life requires preparation. Mm -hmm. Why would we we go into the Jewish Super Bowl, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, without a little prep, without Mm -hmm. a little getting ourselves ready, putting ourselves into the right mindset? And allowing, therefore, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur in the high holiday season to do its magic. It can't do its magic if we just walk in blind. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we take a prayer book, we sit down, look at the, you know, what page, uh, follow along, listen to the rabbi, listen to the cantor, and then move on. No, you, it's got to be more of a personal experience where we've done some prep. And mm-hmm. then we sit down, and those words will resonate, I think, a lot more. So Tom so Brady. Just w- Excellent. So that's Tom Brady. Um, I'm a big fan, um, and uh, he is an excellent example of preparation, and so are you. Um, you, you are constantly I, – I over-prepare. I over-prepare. Um, I always tell everybody the legendary story of Rabbi Wilds. Um, I was cleaning up around the 10th floor on an Arab Shabbos, and I walked into the white room, and I heard Rabbi Wilds' voice as if he was giving a sermon. Now, Friday afternoon at 3 p.m., there's no one in the building. Um <laughs> People are rushing to get ready for Shabbos. And I saw him standing at an empty like, lectern. He was in front of it, but it was an empty synagogue. 
and uh, he was rehearsing his speech. And he said, the only way that I'm going to be able to get a finished product, which is going to give dignity and respect to the audience and the people that are coming, and the only way that I can impact them and inspire them is if I make sure that every word I say is perfectly stated, is if the cadence is perfectly stated, is if the entire speech has been gone over and over and over again, and I make sure that it is a masterpiece. Because otherwise, I'm getting up there for 15 minutes, and it's a wasted opportunity. So you were always about preparation, and I remember seeing you there while I was running around putting up the signs, standing in front of the MJE lectern in front of an empty synagogue, rehearsing your Shabbos speech that you were going to give the next day. And you would do it over and over again. And you'd work on the intro and you'd work on the closing and you'd work how fast or how slow. And you'd make sure that it was a certain amount of time so people could still get the kiddish. But you <laughs> took it so seriously. And that's why your sermons are so beautiful. And people come from all over the world and, and, and to hear them because it is a work of art. But that's because of the preparation that you put in. So, um, Cole, I thank you. to you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Ezra. And by the way, I got that. There's one story that really inspired me. Rabbi Salvechik, who we always quote, um, was once sitting in the Beit Midrash in the study hall. And MTA, where my boys went to high school, um, Yeshiva University's high school for boys, was filled. <laughs> the the Lampador term was filled. The chief rabbi of Israel was supposed to come. And uh, the principal of MTA gets a phone call. He's not showing. Last minute, his plans got canceled. The auditorium is filled. There's probably... I don't know, 300, 350 high school students sitting there. And the principal of the high school told me the story. He runs into the Beit Midrash, sees Rabbi Soloveitchik sitting there with the Talmud, just learning himself, runs over and tells him what happened. He says, Rabbi, can you come in and speak to the high school boys? And Soloveitchik looks up from his Talmud and he says, but I didn't prepare. And the principal says, uh, he's like chuckles, he says, that the high school kids. I'm sure Rabbi Soloveitchik... He says, I didn't prepare. And he wouldn't go in. He wouldn't Until go he in. Prepared. Yeah. Wow. And 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 if he did not feel comfortable doing that without preparing. So that's a, a really important that's, lesson I, I took to heart. Um, so let me just get back just a couple of final questions about the book. So it says 40 days. Mm -hmm. And this obviously connects to the preparation time uh, before Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Is this a book that people can keep on their shelves throughout the year? collect dust, or perhaps they can pull it off and do this challenge uh, throughout the year. Yeah, we were actually going to put a little label on it, if you remember that. Ah, that said, right. you know, because it's such a seasonal book here, it was written to be read for the 40 days leading up to High Holidays. But the truth is, over 20 of the 40 messages are really not High Holiday oriented per se. They're self-growth oriented. They're oriented towards becoming the best version of ourselves. Then as we get closer to Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, I start talking about shofar. I start talking mm -hmm. about some of the rituals we perform on Yom Kippur, understanding them in a deeper way, the power to change, because tshuva is the theme of the high holiday season, uh, things that we do on Yom Kippur. But uh, I really wrote this so that it could be used all year round. And the most important thing is for high holidays to have an all year round impact. Mm, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur true. is not supposed to be a once-a-year thing until we revisit it the next year. Those themes and those ideas are supposed to resonate all year with us. We're supposed to turn back. One of the things I said, um, I tell the story about a teacher of mine <laughs> who uh, in high school demanded a lot from his students. And I one time was complaining to him 
And I was like, I can't do this. You need to move me to a lower class. And he pulled out this grade from his desk with my name on it. And it said 100. It was a test. And I remember I somehow managed to finagle 100 on one of his exams. And then he said to me, Mark Wilds, you got 100. You're, you're fine. You can do this. And then I realized he did that for every student. He managed to give 100 <laughs> to every student. And I always say Yom Kippur is the time we always get 100. Yom Kippur is when we stretch ourselves. All day we're in synagogue praying and we're not eating. We're living like angels. And it's a reference point for the rest of the year. So we could look at Yom Kippur and go, look, look at the way I was on that day, how holy I was. I can do this. And that's what this book is. This book is the 40 days before Yom Kippur, <laughs> but it's a reference that I can use all year to go back to that spiritual place. Uh huh. No, that's, that's what uh, the high holidays are meant to be about, not to yeah. uh, go to the high holidays have the high holidays go through you right mm. Mm. so tell me about the book cover i know there was a really cool <laughs> book reveal with you uh doing a whole uh drum roll there was a contest online we had a contest and so um, tell me right about now, the imagery the, the people who won the contest by the way are still at the four seasons in antigua right now they won the <laughs> contest um so we we went with this cover because it's got the 40 and it's got a guy climbing up the ladder <laughs> And that's really what it is. The 40 days leading from Rosh Chodesh Elul, the holiest month in the Jewish calendar, getting all the way to Yom Kippur are really getting ourselves up and up and up. And that's the goal of the book is that every day with this new wisdom that we um, we imbue ourselves with by reading just this one entry and doing the challenge question, uh, we really want to try to get as many people from MG and beyond to sign up for the 40-day challenge. It's not about buying the book as much as it is doing the 40-day challenge, but you need to buy the book to do that. So please do that. It's very reasonably priced, but that's exactly why the latter image we chose. That was your idea as well. Um, just one last quick question before we get Alec on. Uh, just as a writer, what, what was the most challenging aspect of this process? Um, you know, uh, this is definitely, you know, a dream and an aspiration for probably many people to, to author a book. Um, to not just write a book, but to um, write something that people are going to be interested in and read and be impacted by. Um, what was one of the most or a couple of the most challenging things or difficult things throughout this process? Well, in general, I would say is two things I would say. And then we um, and one will lead us right into Alec, actually. Mm -hmm. One was just finding the time and just carving out. But I just I really love to write. I love sitting down and just writing up ideas that I've already shared. I think the other challenging uh, part was taking something that was verbally shared and making it, um, putting it in written form. And I realized throughout this experience that those are two different ways of communicating with people. When I, when you and I are talking right now, it's actually very different than actually writing it down. You can't just write it down. And I want to thank Alec, and it's a good segue to him maybe, because Alec was the one who called me up. Originally, he said, let's do 100. And I'm like, are you crazy? Because I'm working on another book also. And I'm working on the podcast. And I'm working on MGE and fundraising and everything else and spending time with my students and yada, yada. So he was like, listen, let's take the 40 for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. I will. He volunteered. I will commit them to writing. And then mm -hmm. I'll send them to you and then you'll edit. And that's the process. And it took quite a while to do all 40. And we were choosing from about 60 different entries. But I want to thank Alec in advance. Maybe this is a good time to bring him in because this would not have happened without Alec. Alec was the one that um, committed to actually taking a WhatsApp recording and 
typing it up into some kind of uh, you know format that you could actually read. And then when I looked at it, I'm like, oh, that's an okay idea, but I, we could pepper it up with this. We started throwing another source. Maybe this story works well. And that's where you came in, Rabbi Ezra. I want to thank you for some of your insights and my good friend, Rabbi Eli Krimsky, who gave us some additional material. And lastly, I want to really thank the person who um, who inspired me to write this, and that was our old, our teacher, Rabbi J.J. Schachter, who's a mentor and teacher to all of us, to Alec, to you, Rabbi Ezra. This was really, he was like, you got to do this, Mark. You have Alec to help you. You have your MG, you have some of your MG rabbis who can assist you and work with you on this. So, so mm. I, you know, kudos to Rabbi Schachter, my teacher and mentor, who helped me start MGE for helping and encouraging me. Uh, he edited my whole first book. He did not edit this one. I didn't want to bother him again, but mm-hmm. he was, uh, again, the inspiration in writing this. So thank mm-hmm. you. But it's amazing. You really did this in record time. It's, uh, I mean, you probably thought we're thinking about this, my guess is, less than a year ago. Oh, yeah. This was less. This was probably a seven, eight-month project. Wow. Record time. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, yeah, we'd love to bring on Alec and to thank him. <laughs> Shalom. Hey, Alec Goldstein. Hello. How are you guys doing? Good, Welcome good. Out. I want. I Thank love you. the uh, the book in the background. Excellent placement. It's a it's a good one. It's a good one. Yeah. Highly recommended. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to officially uh, introduce Alec, who received his ordination from Yeshiva University, a school that we both went to. He uh, also uh, earned his undergraduate degree in French and literature. This he book served... is in English. This book is in English. <laughs> it's in English. Uh, we don't have an edition in French just yet. Uh, he was a cantor at Yorkville Synagogue, a rabbi at Mount Isco, Hebrew congregation. He's had articles published in the Jewish press, the YU commentator to our musings. He's the author of a fantastic book called Theology of Holiness and Maimonides on the book of Shemot on Exodus. He's the founder of Kodesh Press, an amazing publishing company. He holds a master's in accountancy from Baruch College, and he has also been a teacher this is your greatest accomplishment in scholar and residence at MJE. Uh, uh, really, uh, you know, uh, Rovesa, there were two times. It was two, it was two or three years in a row where you called me up to, 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 to cover for you at MJE downtown, which was really, was a wonderful experience, but it was on Parsha's Pinchas. And uh, so I didn't realize, so, so I, so first of all, I didn't know it was Rabbi Wild's bar mitzvah parsha. Um, <laughs> I would have worked that into the to the sermon mm-hmm. somehow. Um, but I was like, I was convinced. That like, okay, he's afraid to talk about Pinchas. He doesn't want it. Like, it's too <laughs> controversial. He needs somebody else to take the heat for that. <laughs> oh wow! So that's um, funny. Well, well, thanks for stepping in, uh, <laughs> dealing with the uh, the controversy and uh, the difficult topics. But um, I know also that you live now in Teaneck uh, with yeah. your wife and two daughters, and. Uh, you're really uh, someone who's at the forefront of Jewish education, uh, making sure that content like Rabbi Wiles is getting out there, um, just working with you the past uh, few months. Uh, you have a level of expertise and mastery, professionalism, and a real personal touch that we are so <laughs> grateful for at MJE. I was just telling Rabbi Wiles, this is record time uh, to get uh, this content out in such a beautiful way. And uh, Yasha Koach, Alec, uh, for your tremendous, amazing work uh, with this publishing of this book. Thank you, Alex. Alex, thank you. My, my pleasure to 
really truly an honor to be working with with both of you and the whole MJE team. MJE team. It's a fantastic, wonderful experience. Thank really. you. But specifically, yeah. since this is the Wilds cast, <laughs> tell us what it is about Rabbi Mark Wilds that excited you to work together with him on this book. You know, so like I live in a, I live in Teaneck. So Teaneck, thank God, is a vibrant, thriving Jewish community. Um, but the, you know, the and the rabbis there, they're completely dedicated to to their congregations and their communities. But their communities are kind of like they're already in place, and that itself is a beautiful thing. What I have just, you know, unbounded, you know, um, adulation for Rabbi Wilds is that he he's creating. And he has created and continues to create this MJ community, you know, kind of out of thin air, out of um, people that might not be so connected, or maybe they had a little bit of a day school education, but that they're, you know, often post-college and they're looking for their, they're looking for their connection. They're looking for their way to connect back to find their Judaism. And maybe they don't have a shul membership, a synagogue membership just yet. Maybe but but they're looking, they're striving. And Rabbi Wilds is really, he's at the forefront. He's at, he, he's really at the vanguard of bringing, and not just Rabbi Wilds, you know, the whole MJE, you know, MJE team of, of, of finding those Jews that are looking for connection, looking for meaning, and really helping them bring them in and connect. And there are very few people, quite frankly, in the world that are doing that and fewer that are doing that successfully. So that was really the most exciting aspect um, for me was to was to really get and you know I you know pinch hit for Rabbi Cohen a couple of times at MJ downtown and Thank did you. a little bit of one on one learning but um, yeah. but to really get more of an insight uh, into into what your team does uh, mm-hmm. and how that's impacting the Jewish community you, know, you talked about the three hundred forty four marriages that's incredible that's that's. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. The you know this is what what MJ is doing is changing the Jewish world, um, and you know to be a small part of that was something that I just jumped at the chance at. Wow, thank you. That's so uh, um, effusive and expressive <laughs> of, uh, of of MJE and, and of Rabbi Wilds, and um, you know it's well, it's, it's really uh, symbiotic and organic. Uh, the fact that we had kind of known each other before this whole process started. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, if I can just jump in, yeah. this, I, I, I'm I'm in awe, Alec, actually, of how many books Kodesh Press has published, and how you, 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 you. It was just a pleasant, professional experience working with you, and you know when we didn't just like work together business wise, we actually learned. We were learning together because we were putting together these these forty entries. You were writing them up, sending them to me, and then we were tweaking them, and we got other rabbis involved and. It was really a creative process that was as stressful as it felt sometime. It also <laughs> felt really, and it was, because we're all juggling a lot of things. Everybody here wears a lot of hats. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of in awe of how you pulled this thing off while you're publishing other books at the same time. And you're, you've got another job, and I'm running MGE. With, and, like, I don't know, you just made it happen. This is, this is your work, man. And... Um, I, uh, I I have a lot of gratitude to you for for doing that. I'll just mention one other thing, and you know, you talk about what MGE does, and 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 you know, creating something out of thin air of a new community of new Jews that were not previously engaged Jewishly. This is what we need to be doing more of. 
mm-hmm. because MGE can only hit the numbers of people that come through our doors or now go online. But the people now, this can be in stores and people can just, I can just send this to someone who lives in another state or country and now they can get a taste of the beauty of Torah and the beauty of Judaism and how the high holidays can really enrich their lives. That was not possible before. And um, I, I just want to really express thanks to you again for, for making this happen. I'm not an easy guy to work with, Ezra will tell you that, and you, you, you really pulled it off. <laughs> I never said that. You said that. <laughs> um, Don't thank Al- me. Thank my wife. <laughs> right. So, Alec, uh, as we're, we're closing up, I, yeah. I know we brought you on a little bit late. I just want to know if – are there, like, uh, tips and tricks uh, for, you know, writers and publishers out there? You know, because – Rabbi Wilds, you know, was able to do this in a in a short time with you. Um, should other people expect seven months to be able to have a book published and a launch party uh, that quick? Seven months is a, is a fairly is a f- fairly quick turnaround. Um, so I think I it, that, that's definitely on the shorter side. Um, mm-hmm. Some books, depending on the length, you know, I you know, and the content uh, is. I'm going to make no make no promises. In this case, we kind of like set out beforehand that there was work responsibilities and tasks that we built out of very, very um, consistency, you know, tying mm-hmm. back to the theme before. And there was the consistency that that was really able to to get this done um, in terms of, you know, in terms of t- you know tips for for future authors, you know, the. Um, Thomas Edison has the line attributed to him, which I'm not sure if it made it into the book or not, that uh, genius is one, 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. It's in the book? It's in there. I think it's in the intro. It is? Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so while Rabbi Wilds looks for, looks for the page number, um, and I think that you know, there are a lot of people that they've got great ideas. Um, you know, I myself, like I was interested in the idea of holiness. So like I was interested in the idea of, of holiness, but then it took me to it actually took me 10 years to write, to write that book. Um, a lot of times, you know, people, they want to write an idea. They jot that, you know, they, they want to write about an idea. They jot some stuff down um, and they think it's, and they think it's a book and the creative process um, takes time. Even this, we turned it around in so quickly, but that's because Rabbi Wilds had been working on the material for years and years and years, mm-hmm. uh, it, both in the podcast, both in the WhatsApp groups and obviously his, you know, years of education and Torah study. Um, so, that's the thing. If we've got a great idea, that's great. That's the, that's the divine spark. That's God coming down, putting an idea in your head and being like, okay, great. This is what you are tasked with writing about, so to speak. But then the tips for writers is then kind of, you have to do the, do the legwork, do the grunt work, because that's really where, um, that's really what makes the diamond shine is that mm-hmm. extra, is, is that extra work. And, you know, Quite frankly, you know, a lot of people can tell if you put in the time to polish it or you didn't. And right. uh, that's, you know, that, that's going to be the key to getting you know, a publisher to jump at it or being like, OK, like go polish it a little bit more. Um, so mm-hmm. really that level of legwork and that really ties into what we've been talking about here, what you guys have been talking about, about consistency and trying to become the best version of yourself. Um, so that's really, you know, that's really what I would share for Know, any potential authors out there sure 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 and they can get in touch with you at codishpress.com yeah codishpress at gmail.com or Kodish. through the website yeah and and uh just tell us real quick how, how long ago did codish start 
We started June 5th, 2013. So we just passed our eight year anniversary. We're not quite at MJE levels. And I don't think we've made any marriages. But <laughs> um, <laughs> you don't know. You don't know, maybe. And how many don't books know. have you guys published? Almost 60. Wow. How many? Almost 60, 60. in eight years. Six O. Kavod. I did not know that's that. Amazing. That's incredible, Alec. Yeah. May you continue to go from strength to strength. You are shining a spotlight and uh, allowing uh, great teachers uh, to put their thoughts uh, to print. And, you know, as we've said, to not just share, you know, with uh, the immediate uh, community, but really with the entire world. Uh, that's what a book does. Um, so powerful. A book is so representative of what the Jewish people are about, right? Study. And uh, you are at the forefront of making study possible. Uh, for literally thousands and millions of Jews. So thank you, Alec, for all you do on behalf of the Jewish people. Thank you. Thank you, Alec. <laughs> thank you, Alec. <laughs> I'm um, humbled. Thank you. Thank you, Alec. So uh, thank you. Um, as we come up to our, uh, it looks we've gone over a little bit of an, of an hour. Is there any final thoughts either of you want to say before I give the last advertisement? Mm, buy the book. Okay, that's the, the advertisement. <laughs> well, I want to thank everybody uh, for watching. Don't forget to get your copy of the book, The 40-Day Challenge. Beautiful little book. Uh, Daily Jewish Insights to Prepare for the High Holidays. It's available at www.kodishpress.com as well on Amazon. Next week's guest on the podcast will be an Israeli journalist who's spoken to all the prime ministers. Be sure not to miss that next week. But most importantly, stay tuned in all of MJE's emails. We got a lot of social media going out over the 40-day challenge. We have the book launch, which is going to be on August 2nd. It's going to be a beautiful night, uh, but you can purchase your book early. You can start the 40-day challenge early and uh, just encourage you well, that's right. I just want to jump in. Share. I just want to jump yeah. in for a second, sure. um, which is that we've got a few great offers through the through the website. So at codishpress.com, uh, first of all, we've got um, a checklist so that you can mm -hmm. literally mark off one by one. Uh, that's available with purchase of the book. So if you buy the book, we'll be emailing the checklist out to you, and then mm -hmm. in the next few days. It'll be downloadable with purchase as we as we fix that. We seem to have lost Rabbi Cohen, uh, <laughs> and um, uh, and if you put in the, the the code challenge for forty day challenge, so just the word challenge, so that'll give you um, ten percent off and free shipping, which is uh, it's kind of hard to beat that. So that so you get those those perks just checking out the site um, as you uh, as you start your own endeavor and as we all start our own endeavor of the 40-day challenge awesome alec thank you for everything and thank you rabbi Ezra. we seem to have lost him there but we will uh, see you guys next week next week's podcast and um wildcast and scraping a guest for change <laughs> all right have a good one everyone thank you rabbi wells okay you too take care we hope you enjoyed this episode of the wildcast subscribe to our show on spotify apple podcasts google play or your favorite podcast app. If you haven't already, please leave us a review in the Apple Podcast Store. It only takes a minute, and when you do it, it helps others discover the show. Music from today's episode comes courtesy of Yosef Wiles. For more information about the Manhattan Jewish Experience, please visit our website at jewishexperience.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
Thanks again for joining us.